Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we do praise you that we have assurance. And it's not the assurance out of our own might or effort, but it's through your son, Jesus Christ, that we're called by him and kept by him. I pray, Lord, as we open up your word this morning, that you would open up your truth to our hearts and minds to where we will embrace it and apply it in daily living. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me, if you will, to the 12th chapter of Romans as we complete this chapter this Sunday. And I always like to start off as we begin our message of Romans 12 with a reminder that Romans 1 through 11, Paul describes how one becomes saved. And in Romans 12, he tells the saved how they should live. And the commands that Paul starts in Romans 12 will continue on through the rest of Romans, a directive, if you will, of Christianity. But I think it's fitting that as we finish chapter 12, that Paul has this summary verse in verse 21. In Romans 12, 21, which will be our focal passage this morning, says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, if you recall, earlier in the chapter, Paul told us in verse 9 of Romans 12 that we should abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And I think that it is important as we look at the 12th chapter in its entirety that Paul tells us to do both, both to abhor and here as we start verse 21 to overcome, abhor evil and overcome evil. And if you turn back earlier in Romans to Romans chapter 7, You see Paul fighting with sin in verse 21. And I think this is an extremely important group of verses to reference. Romans 7, 21, Paul says, I find then a law that evil is present within me. The one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as we look at those verses that I just read, I think one could make the argument that in verse 24 
O wretched man that I am, Paul is abhorring. He's abhorring the evil that he finds present within his members. But in verse 25, he mentions that he is going to overcome because he's giving credit to the power of Jesus Christ. And I think this is a very important group of verses to reference because it outlines and summarizes the correct view of Christianity. Some would say that Christianity is just about abhorring, the hating of evil, a disgust with sin, a penance, if you will. But there is more to it than that. And you can see that in the complete response of Paul in Romans 7. O wretched man that I am, the abhorring. And then verse 25, Jesus Christ our Lord. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then the answer is found in Jesus Christ. And as Paul goes on, Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, as a believer, you will overcome the flesh. You'll overcome. Not only will you abhor but you will also overcome. This shouldn't surprise us because the Bible tells us that believers are overcomers. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You notice that John didn't say, Some who are born of God overcome the world. He doesn't say that a few, it is a global statement. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Christians are overcomers. And he goes on and says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, does this mean that Christians will themselves, that we will ourselves to moral victory? Is that how we do it? Is the acknowledgement of the existence of Christ through that, do we will ourselves? Absolutely not. The Pharisees tried to will themselves to moral purity. And in Matthew 23, verse 27 This is how Jesus described the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. In fact, this is a great verse to point out that willing yourself, willing yourself, to live a righteous life will end in failure. We already studied in Romans 8 where 
Paul wrote the church of Rome and said that the law could not conquer unrighteousness. Man's pursuit of the law could not conquer unrighteousness. So morality doesn't do it. Willing ourselves doesn't do it. What allows us to overcome? What gives us the victory? Well, the verse that I just read, 1 John 5, 4, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith. Faith in what? Look at the following verse in 1 John 5. 1 John 5, 5. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And I think it's very important that we spend some time with this verse this morning in determining what this verse really means. As I have said a million times before in my ministry, this is not intellectual acknowledgement. This is not intellectual acknowledgement of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you turn on one of the news channels Right now, there is a commercial that drives me absolutely crazy because it waters the gospel down to intellectual acknowledgement. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're just going to go to heaven. That's just it. That's it. That's all you got to do. You just believe in the existence of Jesus Christ. James 2, verse 19, James said, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The demons believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Matthew chapter 8 is proof in text that demons believe in the existence of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 28, it says, When he, referring to Jesus, had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men, coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass by. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? I think it's very important to point out the two things that the demons acknowledged. First of all, they acknowledged that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They acknowledged that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The second thing that they acknowledged is that there will be a day of judgment for them. If you'll notice, the last question the demons asked Jesus, have you come here to torment us before the time? They acknowledged Jesus Christ 
as the Son of God, they acknowledge the future day of judgment. So, this proves, this proves that intellectual acknowledgement isn't enough. If it was enough, the demons would recognize Jesus as the Lord God Almighty and serve Him and bend the knee. They believed, but it wasn't a saving faith. And here, unfortunately, in the world that we live in, through the cheap presentation of the gospel, there are many people that are living a life of delusion because they think that intellectual acknowledgement, the belief of the existence of Jesus Christ, is their ticket to heaven. But that's not what is meant in 1 John 5, 5, when John wrote, Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It's not acknowledgement. So what does this verse mean? It means that if I am walking in the ways of Christ, I believe that his teachings are superior and true, and I am going to live by them. I am going to reorder my life. If I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I believe that his words are true, and I am going to embrace them and live by them. I'm not going to just acknowledge Jesus. I'm going to pursue his truth. Jesus said just as much in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 in the 23rd verse, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Follow me. A Christian is a follower of Christ. They are not an acknowledger of Christ. A Christian follows Christ. A Christian pursues Christ. A Christian picks up the word and searches for the truth that Christ has revealed through his earthly ministry. And they embrace it in their life. We're followers of Christ. John MacArthur in his commentary notes on this particular verse, Luke 9, 23, when Christ says, follow me, that phrase is spoken by Christ more than any other phrase in the Gospels. Follow me. Follow me. It makes sense. I mean, it would be ridiculous if we put ourselves in the time of Christ, if we were physically sitting at the feet of Christ, it would be ridiculous for Christ to look and say, do you believe that I'm standing here before you right now? Do you believe that I exist? That would be ridiculous. That's not what Christ is talking about when the Bible says that we should believe in him. We believe that he is God in his truth is there to embrace. 
This is why he says, follow me. Follow his teachings. Follow his truth. You know what the second phrase is? It's there in the next verse, Luke 9, 24. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Second most used phrase, whoever loses his life for my sake. Now, what's he telling us? He's telling us that we have to change our life. That we have to change our life. It's not an intellectual acknowledgement. It is a change. It's a turning from the ways of the world and embracing the things of Christ. And he said, if you do that, if you lose your life, you'll save it. In other words, there's peace, there's contentment, there's joy in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in pursuing the things of God. This is what it means to believe in Jesus. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is what John means in 1 John 5, 5, when he says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God will overcome the world. In other words, there's victory. It's a cliched phrase, but it's so true. If you're not living it, you don't believe it. If you're not living it, you don't believe it. Christianity is a new life. It's a transformed life. And it is a life that overcomes. We are promised in Scripture that we will overcome evil. That we'll overcome evil. And I will make the argument that one reason why churches are having an attendance problem in our society today is that we have endured decades of a cheap gospel that says you just have to acknowledge and then there's no change among the congregation. The congregation just looks like the rest of the world and then everybody sits there and says, why do I need to give up an hour on Sunday because I don't see any difference between my friends who don't know Jesus and my friends who do know Jesus. My friends, we're told to overcome. We're to look different. The Bible says that we're aliens, that we're pilgrims. We look different, we act different, we think different. We overcome the world. And we overcome evil. Now, privately, not openly, just survey in your mind right now the sins that you have trouble with in your life. We all have them, don't we? And I imagine that the moment that I said that, you had something in your mind that popped up that you're struggling with. In fact, the confession of sins is proof that you are a believer. 1 John 1, 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. 
So as we think about the sin that we are struggling with in our mind, we are acknowledging that we're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we have a sin. We all have sins. And one of the reasons why we don't conquer that sin is that people have the wrong approach. Somebody might say, well... Yeah, the Bible says we're overcomers, but but that's not going to happen to the end. That's not true. The Bible says that we overcome. The Bible says that we can resist any temptation that's common to man. We're overcomers. I would venture to say that if someone is failing in overcoming, their approach is wrong. Their approach is wrong. Some people approach this as a pursuit of moralism. Okay, I acknowledge the existence of Christ. I acknowledge the existence of Christ. And then they say, I've got it from here. I can get this. I can overcome. I will will myself to be morally correct. But remember, if moralism provided victory, there would be no need of Jesus. The Pharisees were moralists, and they failed. They were hypocrites. There's failure in moralism. There's victory in Christianity. Paul tells us to overcome. To overcome. And I would argue that instead of pursuing moralism, the correct pursuit is looking unto Jesus is looking unto Jesus. My favorite verse in my latter years of high school was Titus 2, starting in verse 11. In fact, at one point, I had this group of verses that we're fixing to read. I had it committed to memory. I don't do so good with memory anymore, but I had it memorized. And the reason why I had this memorized is that I struggled with the pursuit of righteousness through morality, and I found that I failed every single time. And the answer to the correct pursuit is found here in Titus 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing for our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Let's look at that closely. If I am going to live a righteous life, if I am going to overcome, I am going to do verse 13. I am going to be looking for Jesus Christ. I'm going to be looking. I'm going to be searching. I'm going to have a thirst for the Word of God and how it 
is applicable in my life. Because after all, look at verse 14. It says that he gave himself for us. Why? That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. In other words, a Christian's a transformed person. A Christian's a transformed person. Do we do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But I will say this, the pursuit never stops. The pursuit never stops. And in fact, If you think about the doctrine of sanctification, what is God doing? He's peeling away the unrighteousness, layer by layer. And you look back and you think, well, gee, that problem that I had 10, 15 years ago that I struggled with, I don't even struggle with that anymore. Why is that? The power of Jesus Christ. It's not our morality. It's not our own self-righteousness. It is the fact that we have overcome through the indwelling of the Spirit. And then what happens? Then the believer moves on. And then they move on to the next thing. And then uh, several years later, what happens? That's not a problem anymore. And then what happens? You become aware of a new sin or another sin that you want to conquer in your life. It's sanctification. It's overcoming. That's the power of Christianity. And what happens when we come together and we collectively pursue Christ? What happens? The church, the church provides a testimony. It's a testimony, both individually and collectively. You can turn in Revelation, and there are churches. The letters to the churches are by name. And every church has a character. I've been in church my whole life. And I'll tell you that every single church has a character. They have a personality, if you will. And what we all should strive for here in our congregation is that individually and collectively, we pursue Christ. And so as we pursue Christ, we grow in Christ, we're strengthened in Christ, and we become a testimony to our community. That's what we should strive for. Now, If you say, well, that's what we're going to will ourselves to do and we're going to do it and we start walking out, I guarantee you, you'll fail before you get to the car. It's only in the pursuit of Christ. It's only reading the words of Christ. It's only praying. And in that, the Bible promises us that we will overcome. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for this morning. And we thank you for your wonderful promise that we overcome. Not by our own moral pursuit, but we overcome 
through the gift of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we might embrace that truth. I pray that we truly might be followers of Christ. Not Christians in name only, but we pursue Christ in his teachings and truth. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone who's listening who's never turned their life over to Christ, that they might relinquish the things of this world and ask for forgiveness of sins and become a follower of Christ and experience the joy and peace and forgiveness that only Christ can give. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.